Hi listeners, today's episode is all about ignoring your ego and answering the call. The number one lesson I could offer you where your work is concerned is this, become so skilled, so vigilant, so flat out fantastic at what you do that your talent cannot be dismissed. You know, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be a social worker or be a teacher or somehow be in an environment where I would be connected and speaking to people to honor that calling. I had no idea that God could dream this big dream of uh, television life for myself. But everybody has a calling and your real job in life is to figure out as soon as possible what that is who you were meant to be, and begin to honor that in the best way possible for yourself. We have seen over the years on The Oprah Show so many people who've been able to rise to success in their life and only able to rise to success because they answered the call. Lots of people think that it's about being famous or about being known or about doing big, big, incredible things. What you're going to hear today and see through the stories is that Sometimes the calling is right in your own neighborhood. Sometimes the calling is something that was just a whisper to you. And when you begin to honor that whisper and to follow that, you end up being the best that you could be. I actually thought at the time that being thin uh, made me better. Uh, My identification with form, my Uh, wanting so desperately to be in a size 10 gene was so prominent identifying with that that shortly after this I gained five pounds and I was invited to a party at the time by Don Johnson remember dreamy Don Johnson I was invited to a holiday party and I did not go to that party because I thought the five pounds made me too fat not good enough to be at Don Johnson's party. Sounds kind of sick now, I know. But that's what the ego does. It is, uh, it's a, it, it is sick. It's wily, it's cunning, it's deceptive. It's an imposter imposing on the real you, making you often think that you're something that you're not. You're not the shape of your body. You're not your status. You're not your position in life. You're not the car you drive, no matter how fancy it is. You're not your house or your square footage. For all of you watching right now, here's another way to better understand ego, what I'm talking about. Eckhart taught me this. Everybody try this from home or wherever you are right now. Close your eyes and notice what you're thinking. Notice your thoughts. Now, Who is thinking those thoughts? Can you notice that there is a space where you are observing the thoughts and where you are aware of the thoughts that you are observing? Eckhart says, you are that awareness disguised as a person. And when I got that, I understood the difference between my true self and my ego self. Over the years, we've heard invaluable information that in a moment of danger could be life-saving. 
Nothing I heard made a greater impression on me than back in 1991, I think we were beginning our fifth season, and a man named Sanford Strong came on and, and shared this. Never forgot it. Rule number one, and frankly, it's probably, in my opinion, the most important. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. Never. If everyone in this room and everyone watching this program has never drawn the line and made a decision on crime protection, you better make it when they decide to move you from crime scene number one to crime scene number two. Because a crime scene number two is going to be isolated. You won't choose it. You'll be the focus of the crime. I think what was so interesting about that piece of advice is at the time that we all heard that, we had been trained, as women people especially, to believe that you just do whatever they say. Whatever they say, go along with it. And what's important for those of you who are watching right now and those of you who are on the internet with us right now to know is that it's all about using your gut in the moment. And people who've survived horrific circumstances talk about listening to that intuition and every move being made calculated on listening to what your gut says. What the experts now say is do not allow yourself to be taken to the second location because anybody who is trying to harm you wants to get you to an isolated place where they can do that without other people seeing or knowing it. So in that moment of making the decision, oh, you're gonna shoot me, if you're gonna shoot me, you have to shoot me now rather than shoot me in isolation where nobody can see you. Whenever somebody has said something that made the little hairs on my arms or neck stand up, I know that if that's happening to me, that's also happening to somebody else too. The way to make movies is to do stuff that you love because, you know, for 25 years I worked on The Oprah Show and uh, Stedman will tell you that there were day nights that I came home and I almost, you know, it was hard to even like take off my clothes because I knew I was going to be getting up four hours later. But I never really felt exhausted, like I never I felt exhausted, but I never felt depleted. So do the work that comes straight from the soul of you from your background, from stories that you've grown up with, from stories that bring you passion, from stories that you uh, not just yearn to tell, but that if you don't tell them, they won't get told. And when you, when you are operating, you know, the single, the single greatest uh, wisdom I think I've ever received, other than when people show you who they are, is that the key to fulfillment, success, happiness, contentment in life is when you align your personality with what your soul actually came to do. I believe everybody has a soul and has, you know, their own personal spiritual energy. So when you can use your personality to serve whatever that thing is, you can't help but be successful. So if you do films that come from the interior of your soul, you do work, you do art that comes from the interior of you, it, it, you cannot miss. It's only when you're doing stuff that you think might make money, you think it may be uh, a hit, or you think it may uh, bring you some level of attention or success. That isn't what does it. I would have to say that all of the great, wonderful experiences of my life that have brought me to this moment have come from working from the interior of myself. And so that's why it feels so authentic because it, it actually is.
So when you do that, you'll win. And everybody has a different talent. And the reason we're all so messed up is because you're looking at everybody else's talent and wishing you had some of their talent. All the energy that you spend thinking about, wishing about, being jealous of, envious of anybody else is energy that you're not only putting out that's gonna come back to you negatively, but you're taking that away from you. All your energy should be forced on what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? How can I be used in service? Because Dr. King's message of not everybody can be famous, but everybody can be great because greatness is determined by service. And there is not a job in here that you can do that you don't switch the paradigm to service and not make that job more fulfilling. I don't care what the job is. If you say, I'm a singer, I'm a dancer, I'm an artist. I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse. I'm a doctor, I'm a janitor, I'm a, I'm a clerk. I'm a... If you say, if I look at this from, how do I use this in service to something bigger than myself? Yes. It no longer becomes a job. It becomes an offering to the world. I first started making money and it was, you know, my salary or my earnings were published all over the place. I mean, the first year I was like, really? Did I make that much money? Oh my God. Um, it, it was very difficult for me to figure out where my boundaries were because I'd grown up poor and didn't have anything. So it's easy when you don't have anything and people ask you for money. They say, I need 500. You say, I don't have it because I'm just trying to get my rent paid. It's harder when you're multi-billion dollar salary is now in the paper and you get a lot of friends and cousins you didn't have before. So how do you set boundaries for yourself? I was having trouble setting boundaries myself for myself for even strangers. People would just show up at my door in Chicago and say, Oprah, I left my husband, please help me. And I would because she knows I have it. So what I learned was is that Oh, the reason why people keep showing up is because my intention is to make them think that I'm such a nice person that you can ask me for anything, you can get me to do anything, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to say yes. So when Stevie called me this time, I thought I'd try out my first no on Stevie. Let's start big. He wanted me to donate some money to a charity, and I didn't want to donate to the charity because... I have my own charities, and I care about a lot of people, but the, the, the problem is when you, you have money, everybody thinks you just want to give to everything. So every letter I ever get starts with, we know you love the children. <laughs> yes, I do love the children, but somebody else is going to have to help the children. So I said to Stevie, uh, I said to Stevie, no. And um, as a person who has that disease to please, I was waiting for him then to, to say, I will never speak to you again. I will never call you. I will never sing a song for you. And he didn't. He just said, okay. Okay? Okay, it's okay? He said, okay. Check you later. And what I learned from that is, Many times you will have angst and worry about things and put yourself in a state, like someone said this morning because their phone went off, they were mortified over a phone, I said, really? Um, you will put yourself in a state when the other person really isn't even thinking about you. So 
Learning that I could specifically determine for myself what the boundaries were for me, what I wanted to do, give my money, give my time, give of my service to who I wanted to give it to when I did, that I get to make that decision. And just because you get a hundred requests a week doesn't mean you have to try to fulfill all of that. Just because you have all of these demands on your time and on you doesn't mean that you have to say yes. You get to decide because you're the master of your fate. The captain of your soul, as William Ernest Henley said in Invictus. And understanding that really changed the meaning of my life in that I was not no longer driven by what other people wanted me to do, but took charge of my own destiny, making choices based upon what do I feel is the next right move for me. There was one woman out of all the celebrities, out of all of the famous, non-famous, infamous people. One woman who from was Zim she? Who was she? Her name is Terai Trent. Listen to the story. I'm gonna try to shorten it for you, Please Godfrey. Do. Okay. Terai Trent, born and raised in a village in Zimbabwe. 11 years old, she's doing her brother's homework. She wants to go to school, her father says no. You have, to, you have to educate the boy first. Yep, that's right. That was the I, tradition. That's right. The boy has to go to school. You can't go to school. So she starts doing her brother's homework. She does his, her brother's homework. He goes to school. He gets all A's on his homework, yet he doesn't know the answer to the question. The teacher comes to the village to say, what is going on here? This boy doesn't know the answers, but his homework's perfect. She finds out that Terai, his younger sister, is doing his homework. She begs the father to let Terai go to school. The father says, no, she can't go to school. Finally, he marries her off. She marries at 11 and a half years old. She gets married. She has three children by the time she's 18 years old. A woman comes to the village from an NGO, Heifer International, and asks, what are your dreams? This is gonna make me cry. Finally, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> asks her, what are your dreams? This child has never thought about what her dreams were. She says, write down your dreams. She writes down her dreams on a piece of paper and she folds them in a tin can and she buries them under a rock. The first dream was to be able to go to the school in, go to a school in the United States of America and get a college degree. She ends up through some miracle of the NGO going to the United States. She wow. gets a college degree. Wow. Yes, she gets a four-year degree in three years. Terrorite Trent. She goes back to the rock in Zimbabwe. She writes her next goal on the piece of paper. She buries it under the rock. She writes, I want to get a master's degree. She goes back to the United States. She gets a master's degree. By this time, she now has five children. She's married to a man who still oh, beats incredible. her. Incredible. She goes back to the United States. She gets her master's degree. After the master's degree, she goes back to the rock in Zimbabwe. She writes down her final goal is to get a doctorate degree. And last year, she became Dr. Tararai Trent. Where did you find it? Where did I find it? Um, I found her in the, in the Nicholas Kristof's book called uh, Something the Sky, Underneath the Sky or the Sky. I, Nicola, I found her in Nicholas Kristof's book. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And I was reading the story. I had Nicholas Kristof on the show. Nicholas Kristof, the famous New York Times writer. And 
she wasn't there. She wasn't a part of the church. I'm reading the story. I can't believe this book, the story of this woman, as I'm reading the story. So when we go to do the show, the producers have Nicholas Kristoff on. They bring on other guests, but this woman isn't there. I go, how, how could you not have her there? So we tape another show with Nicholas Kristoff. We go back, I go, fine, we're gonna find that woman, Tara Wright Trent. This time, by this time, she's living in the United States. We followed her back to Zimbabwe, to the rock. We pulled the tin can from underneath the rock. And that is my favorite guest of all time. And the worst? Um, I don't have a worst. I don't have a worst. But the reason why she, and, and as I said this on my show, the reason why Tara Wright Trent is my favorite guest of all time is because she represents in that one story of the little girl in a village in Zimbabwe who had a dream and the heart and depth and discipline to pursue it. She represents everything I tried to say in every show in 25 years. She literally, through her life story, sums up the message that I was trying to give to every single one of my viewers. You can, you can, keep trying, don't give up. You have to believe. You have to believe. Over the years, the centuries, so many teachers and poets and songwriters have talked about the significance of knowing yourself. I know we've all heard, to thine own self be true, Shakespeare, or, Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, Whitney Houston. What I know for sure is that in all the talk about loving yourself, you can't begin to love yourself or even be true to yourself unless you know who you are, separate from your ego. So think about this for a moment. You're at home listening, watching to me, and taking in the thoughts that I'm sharing right now, and there is an inner space that allows you to perceive these thoughts. Little, not even a space. I'm just using the word space because there is no other word. There is the ability to perceive what I'm saying and be aware of what I'm saying. That is where the true you abides, in that awareness, in the very center of yourself. And when you stray from that center, you get lost and you make mistakes. I learned this the hard way. Your ego takes over. Everybody has an ego. I used to think the ego showed itself through um, someone being arrogant or stuck up or haughty or the who does she think she is prancing down a red carpet kind of thing. Well, I'm in show business and the business of showing myself. So I'm aware that there's a lot of egotism involved in this business. And I always thought that I had my ego in check until I realized that it's not just the obvious. It's not always acting out or showing off. In 2008, I chose Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, for my book club. And this book will change the way you view your life and the people around you and your world. Chapters three and four literally changed the way I saw myself and my ego. It changed for me what ego meant. And Tolle says that any identification with form, meaning any identification, identifying with something that is not the center of yourself, that is possessions, material things, cars, titles, social status, or in my case, identifying with the deep desire to be thin. 
You will find true success and happiness if you have only one goal. There really is only one, and that is this, to fulfill the highest, most truthful expression of yourself as a human being. You want to max out your humanity by using your energy to lift yourself up, your family, and the people around you. Theologian Howard Thurman said it best. He said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. The world needs people like Michael Stalzenberg from Fort Lauderdale. When Michael was just eight years old, Michael nearly died from a bacterial infection that cost him both of his hands and both of his feet. And in an instant, this vibrant little boy became a quadruple amputee and his life was changed forever. But in losing who he once was, Michael discovered who he wanted to be. He refused to sit in that wheelchair all day and feel sorry for himself. So with prosthetics, he learned to walk and run and play again. He joined his middle school lacrosse team. And last month when he learned that so many victims of the Boston Marathon bombing would become new amputees, Michael decided to banish that darkness with light. Michael and his brother Harris created Mikey'sRun.com to raise $1 million for other amputees by the time Harris runs the 2014 Boston Marathon. More than a thousand miles away from here, these two young brothers are bringing people together to support this Boston community the way their community came together to support Michael. And when this 13-year-old man was asked about his fellow amputees, he said this, first, they will be sad. They're losing something they will never get back. And that's scary. I was scared. But they'll be okay. They just don't know that yet. We might not always know it. We might not always see it or hear it on the news or even feel it in our daily lives. But I have faith that no matter what, class of 2013, you will be okay. And you will make sure our country is okay. I have faith because of that nine-year-old girl who went out and collected the change. I have faith because of David and Francine Wheeler. I have faith because of Michael and Harris Stolzenberg. And I have faith because of you, the network of angels sitting here today. One of them, Khadija Williams, who came to Harvard four years ago. Khadija had attended 12 schools in 12 years, living out of garbage bags, amongst pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers, homeless, going into department stores, Walmart in the morning to bathe herself so that she wouldn't smell in front of her classmates. And today she graduates as a member of the Harvard class of 2013. Nobody's journey is seamless or smooth. We all stumble, we all have setbacks. If things go wrong, you hit a dead end, as you will. It's just life's way of saying, time to change course. So ask every failure, this is what I do. 
Every failure, every crisis, every difficult time, I say, what is this here to teach me? And as soon as you get the lesson, you get to move on. If you really get the lesson, you pass and you don't have to repeat the class. If you don't get the lesson, it shows up wearing another pair of pants or skirt to give you some remedial work. And what I found is that difficulties come when you don't pay attention to life's whisper because life always whispers to you first, first. And if you ignore the whisper sooner or later, you'll get a scream. Whatever you resist persists, but if you ask the right question, not why is this happening, but what is this here to teach me? What is this here to teach me? It puts you in the place and space to get the lesson you need. My friend Eckhart Tolle, uh, who's written this wonderful book uh, called A New Earth, that's all about letting the awareness of who you are stimulate everything that you do. He puts it like this, he says, don't react against a bad situation, merge with that situation instead, and the solution will arise from the challenge. Because surrendering yourself doesn't mean giving up, it means acting with responsibility. Okay, many of you know that, as President Hennessy said, I started this school in Africa. And I founded the school where I'm trying to give South African girls a shot at a future like yours, Stanford. And I spent five years making sure that school would be as beautiful as the students. I wanted every girl to feel her worth reflected in her surroundings. So I checked every blueprint, I picked every pillow, I was looking at the grout in between the bricks, I knew every thread count of the sheets. I chose every girl from the villages, from nine provinces. And yet, last fall, I was faced with a crisis I'd never anticipated. I was told that one of the dorm matrons was suspected of sexual abuse. Well, that was, as you can imagine, devastating news. First, I cried. Actually, I sobbed for about a half an hour. And then I said, let's get to it. That's all you get is a half an hour. You need to focus on the now, what you need to do now. So I contacted a child trauma specialist. I put together a team of investigators. I made sure the girls had counseling and support. And Gail and I got on a plane and flew to South Africa. And the whole time I kept asking that question, what is this here to teach me? And as difficult as that experience has been, I got a lot of lessons. I understand now the mistakes I made because I had been paying attention to all of the wrong things. I built that school from the outside in when what really mattered was the inside out. So it's a lesson that applies to all of our lives as a whole. What matters most is what's inside. What matters most is the sense of integrity, of quality and beauty. I got that lesson. And what I know is, is that the girls came away with something too. They've emerged from this more resilient and knowing that their voices have power. There's a bigger dream waiting for you, just waiting for you to step into it, to step into it. Your life is big, your life is huge. And we spend so much time wanting to be in somebody else's life. And you don't get honored, you don't get revered, you don't get celebrating wanting what somebody else has 
because that which created you, divine intelligence that dreamed you from before your ancestors ever knew they would become your ancestors, that which dreamed the seed of you wants you to know how special, how wondrous, how mysterious, how complex, how glorious, how phenomenal you are. And you get no credit messing in somebody else's territory or trying to have power over something you have no control. Another one of my favorite teachings is the Wizard of Oz. When the witch, Wicked Witch of the West says, go away from here because you don't have any power here, you have no power in any territory other than your own. Oh, but you are the master of that. You get to be the master of your own fate. You get to be the captain of your own soul. And if you just manage that, if you just took care of your territory, oh, the glorious, 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 wondrous, wondrous opportunities and possibilities that are waiting for you. So the question is, what are you resisting? What are you pushing against? What are you not allowing? What are you blocking? Because you have this idea of who and what you're supposed to be instead of leaning into the dream that's already been created and waiting for you. It's waiting for you. And the second, I mean, it doesn't, it's an instant thing. It's a shift in the way you see yourself and the power from which you have come.